Welcome to Strike Up the Conversation on Post Show Recaps, a podcast bringing you coverage of the labor disputes happening right now in television and film. I'm Dr. Amanda, and I'm your host for these conversations. As always, we have a great conversation in store for you today. I am joined by a dear friend and great Post Show Recaps contributor, a union member themselves, Brooklyn Zed. Thank you, Zed, for joining us today. Oh my gosh. I am so excited to be here. I love labor organizing. I love strikes. I'm very excited to be part of the conversation today. Perfect guest for this podcast. I'm so glad that you're going to join. Today, what we're going to do is we are going to celebrate Labor Day, which just passed, talking a little bit about the history of the holiday and some of the significance of organized labor in the U.S. We're also going to talk about updates from the front lines of the negotiations. There have been a lot of news articles over the last couple of weeks about developments in Hollywood. And um, Zed, as a IATSE member, a um, International Alliance of Theatrical Stage Employee member, can also speak to how some of the labor uh, conversations that are happening right now in Hollywood also affect people who work in theater and those workers. So another packed episode in store for you today. Um, Please do subscribe and rate and review the podcast. It really helps people find us. You can use our RSS feed, postshowrecaps.com slash strike when you search by URL on your podcast player of choice. That's postshowrecaps.com slash strike. Um, You can also rate and review us. Honest ratings are appreciated and they help more people find the show. And if you have any questions or topics related to labor in general, related to the Hollywood strikes that you are interested in, uh, you can let me know that on postshowrecaps.com slash strike FAQ. Well, Happy Labor Day, Zed. That's the holiday where we celebrate hot dogs, right? Uh, Something like that. And if you work a job where you get to stay home, you have the day off. And if you work a job where you have to leave the house, you probably don't have the day off. Yes. Um, Yeah, Labor Day is one of those holidays that like marks the end of the summer. You and I were just talking before we got on the podcast today about how this is a hot labor summer. So a particularly uh, significant uh, Labor Day to celebrate here. Um, I did a little bit of research on the history of Labor Day for people who don't know. And I hope that listeners to strike up the conversation do know that Labor Day is actually a holiday. Uh, celebrating the contributions of the organized labor uh, movement in the U.S. And it was first celebrated in New York City in 1882 and then declared a national holiday in 1894. And interestingly, like May Day, Labor Day's roots come out of violent clashes between labor organizers and police. In the case of Labor Day, this was the Haymarket Riot in 1886 when thousands of workers in Chicago took to the streets to demand an eight-hour workday and were violently suppressed by armed police. Um, Today, um, we, you know, sort of obscure some of that history. Uh, Interestingly, I think it was President 
let me see. I'm going to mess this up. So feel free to bail me out, Zed, if I'm struggling. <laughs> but um, it was, was it Grover Cleveland? Yes, it was President Grover look Cleveland. I know. Look at me. As if I don't have notes in front of me that I'm struggling with. But Grover Cleveland actually um, was the one who uh, codified Labor Day as a federal holiday. And part of the reason was to present it as sort of a less uh, activist, less um, disruptive holiday for workers in comparison to May Day, which is the kind of international holiday honoring workers' rights, um, International Workers' Day. So um, that's a little bit of your history of Labor Day there. Yeah, uh, it is definitely a very, like, American thing to celebrate Labor Day rather than May Day. May Day has much more historically, like, revolutionary, radical roots. And we don't like that here in this country. So we go with Labor Day, a day we have been gifted with the day off to celebrate all of our labors, uh, unlike in the rest of the world where they talk about their revolutions. And I said, I was actually in labor on Labor Day nine years ago. So I have a particularly special relationship, many meanings to Labor Day. But um, there's a lot of contributions of the labor unit movement, labor unions and the labor movement to what I think are these kind of facets of American life that we take for granted. And so it's good to sort of remind ourselves that these are not um, you know, that that some of these big wins that have contributed to what's seen as the American experience are not things that we can take for granted. They're things that people actually had to fight for, in many cases, die for in order to secure these rights for workers. So um, I did a little bit of research on this, but things like the minimum wage, as much as it is, we know it's not enough, but the fact that it exists at all was a win for organized labor. Um, many different forms of discrimination have been um, have been made illegal in the workplace because of organized labor. OSHA. So if you like being able to go to work and not fearing that you're being um, subjected to nauseous chemicals or anything dangerous, I mean things like having a fire safety capacity, like being able to have access to um, to breaks and um, those kind of safe work take workplace practices were things that labor unions had to fight for the existence of the weekend at all. The fact that we don't have, um, you know, that we don't have seven days a week in the work week, ending child labor, the 40 some hour places, someplace. Right. And I, and they're, and now they're fighting to get that back and succeeding in some States of uh, 40 hour work weeks, the eight hour work day, Unemployment benefits, workers' compensation, employer-supplied health coverage, and Family and Medical Leave Act are all things that unions have fought for. And the reason that we enjoy them today is because of the labor movement. Absolutely. And there are pushes now. Uh, I think there's a bill in the Pennsylvania um, legislature at this point for a 32-hour work week without cutting uh, wages. And while that may sound crazy and audacious, remember that once upon a time, people were working 14, 16 hours a day and productivity continues to climb. And yet that has that has not reaped any benefits 
for workers, whether it is in increased wages or decreased labor or both, as it should be. You know, we're going to talk, I'm sure, some today about AI, as that's hugely mm-hmm. impactful to the strikes that are happening right now in Hollywood. Um, but there are lots of good things about automation and computer learning that can help make workers' jobs easier. And it is not about replacing workers. It's about making it so that maybe we don't have to work so much and could go live our lives. Um, but rather than you know increase our, our life, employers just want to increase their productivity using those machines. So it is an ongoing struggle you know we don't have to say okay we reached our 40-hour work week we're good we're done nothing else to fight for um right you know the fight continues every day right and thinking like given how much like the demands on life like i'm thinking about family life have changed since the 40-hour work week was 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 originally instated when you could have a single income um for raising a whole family and now with the demands that we have for um, multiple people to work outside the home. A lot of people work 40 hours a week and then have to have additional side hustles just to make ends meet. So every now, you know, we can't take these things for granted. Just as I said, you know, they, they, they've been things that were fought for that were um, always adapting to the changes in industry and the changing demands of, uh, of, of life. And so these are very much struggles that need to continue to happen. We had Paul Prescott on the show a few weeks ago now. um, And in the context of that, we talked about how maybe artificial intelligence is a new term to be hearing, but uh, automation and mechanization are not new. And when they get introduced into an industry, the labor force and the regulations around how they're used has to adapt in a way to, you know, make sure that workers are getting a fair share and are protected from those things. Um, so, so Zed, I know that you follow the labor movement very closely. You follow these sorts of things. What's your reaction to seeing the events of this summer? Um, obviously the Hollywood strikes, and that's what we focus on in this podcast, but also the Teamsters victory in negotiations with UPS, there's also um, the United Auto Workers. I think are amidst in the midst of um, of uh, authorizing a strike of their own. I know that the flight attendants union is also organizing. What has been your reaction over the last few months watching all of the activity in this space? Uh, I just find it really exciting, really thrilling. Um, I think I can't remember who it was in the last couple of episodes was talking about how like in the pandemic, you know, people really saw that it was workers that kept us all alive and kept things moving and kept the, the you know, God beloved economy running, um, which is always the ultimate motivating factor for the 1% when they're making their decisions is, is that we will do whatever we have to do to make sure we keep making money, except maybe in the case of these strikes where they're just losing money hand over Mm -hmm. fist and don't seem to really uh, have any plan to fix that. Um, 
But the solidarity that you see across different industries over the course of this summer and continuing now into September, um, I think is really moving and heartening and inspiring and provides a lot of hope for people that this is not one isolated incident, but it is a movement and it's a movement that is continuing and spreading and growing. Um, IATSE has been doing, or not IATSE, but SAG-AFTRA has been doing pickets out at the airport in support of uh, the flight attendants and the pilots that are in the process of striking and or picketing. There's just a lot of organized labor actions happening in the airline space right now for understandable reasons. Um, And as we'll discuss, there's upcoming strikes potentially in uh, the video game space, um, the SAG-AFTRA interactive media contract has just come to authorize a strike because their contract is about to be up. Uh, IATSE, which is the theatrical employees, as you mentioned, of which I am a member, um, almost went there. Were, there was a contract that almost went on strike earlier this summer, uh, which would have shut down Broadway and touring productions. Um, very interesting to not know if you're coming back to work the next day through actions you you have no uh, no impact on. Um, so it's it's but I would be thrilled if if they shut down Broadway the same as everything else like and I and that is not to say that any of this is easy uh it's all very hard there are very serious financial repercussions for all of the people who are on strike right now um but the the solidarity and support and you know the public opinion is certainly on the side of the workers in these cases uh and I think that's just going to continue to grow and hopefully continue to spread to other industries like the way Starbucks is unionizing, Barnes and Noble is unionizing. We're going to get Amazon one day. It's going to happen. You know, lots of union votes fail before they succeed. That's just part of the process. Yeah. um, So many great points there. I mean, I think we are in a moment coming off of the pandemic, um, having a kind of relatively pro, like favoring labor economy right now in terms of employment numbers. Um, Gen Z, the most pro-union generation alive right now, is uh, making up growing numbers of the workforce. Um, we People really recognized what was at stake and also their value as workers during the pandemic, as you mentioned. So here we are in this moment with these negotiate these contracts up and negotiations happening and workers are flexing their power and it's a really really important time to do so um you mentioned just how painful strikes can be and that it's not a decision to take lightly um you know it's one thing to talk about that in terms of hollywood where people can maybe say to themselves that these are, you know, frivolous things, media, television shows. Um, but, you know, I've talked to nurses, I've talked to teachers and people who really like don't want to leave their students in the lurch, don't want to leave their patients and shut down the operations of a hospital. But when situations become untenable, if you want to retain the viability of a profession, sometimes this is exactly what you have to do. Um, So Zed, I would love to hear you talk a little bit about what 
some of the issues. You mentioned that IATSE um, was on the brink of striking. And are any of the issues that are happening right now uh, with the Writers Guild and SAG-AFTRA, like, are there echoes of this that you see in your industry? So I think in general scope, sure, it's the same issues that we're seeing across labor in terms of profits versus wages. And that is just the nature of capitalism is that forever profits will grow. And the way that profits grow is by exploiting labor. And that doesn't that doesn't matter if you're a nurse, if you work at McDonald's, if you're a Broadway star, if you're a flight attendant, in all cases, Profits literally mean that that you made money for someone else beyond what you got paid to be there. Uh, And that is what exploitation of workers is. And when um, when wages are not keeping up with profits, that's that's when these tension points happen. And that's exactly what's happening now in Hollywood. Uh, And so when it comes to wages specifically, I think that's a big argument you're seeing across all of these various industries. And that's certainly part of what's going on with, or what was going on with the IATSE union that was looking, or the locals that were talking about striking. Uh, I should clarify, I am local 306, which is ticket takers, ushers, porters, uh, door people. It's all of the front of house staff at, at the theaters. Um, the local that w- had authorized a strike Uh, is the people who work on what's called a pink contract. And that's the folks in wardrobe, makeup, hair, uh, all of those departments. Um, But it's all interconnected, right? And so if if any part of a Broadway production says, no, we're not coming to work... You, you can't do the show. Mm-hmm. The show cannot happen. Um, I but would the say show must go on, Zed. That's the what show I must heard. go on, but they'll go on naked. They'll go on with no clothes, no, no hair. Um, but literally, because of the solidarity, and this discussion was happening in my theater as, as we were trying to find out what was going on, um, the IATSE Local One, which is the stagehands that are usually employed by the theater rather than by the production, Uh, So they would not be impacted directly by the strike if it happened, but they're not showing up to work and crossing a picket line if their coworkers are striking. Um, And I said that to my friends. I was like, look, you guys can show up if you want to, but if there are people striking in this building, I will not be here. I will be outside if we are outside. I will be at home if we are at home, but I am not coming to work if there are people shutting down this operation because labor practices are not keeping up with you know what they need to be um it is different in some ways because like we don't you know broadway shows don't have a writer's room the way that like the wga is striking for and ai certainly does not impact live theater events the way that it can filmed things because you just can't really put holograms on stage uh i don't think we have the technology to do that in a really right successful way yet anyway and that's not what people are coming to the theater to see they're they're coming for the human beings um but to that same point i would say people are watching films to watch the human experience to watch a story that humans wrote that is based on empathy and the human experience and that is being told and portrayed by human beings as well so there's plenty of overlaps even if like in the minutiae things are things are a little different. Right. I mean, in terms of the the talent and the people who are involved in stage and involved in um, 
in, you know, television and film. Um, I imagine that there's some overlap there. Like, are we, are, are we seeing a shift in people who are not able to work on film productions, like seeking different opportunities? Is it affecting the theater industry in any kind of measurable way at this point? Um, not that I'm specifically aware of. I would say uh, obviously a lot more of this is centered in L.A. because that's mm-hmm. where the studios tend to be headed. That's where writers tend to be. Um, l- plenty of work obviously also gets filmed in New York, although similarly to I'm originally from Chicago and Chicago used to be a huge film town. Um, and then because unions made the work so expensive a lot of film work left Chicago to mm. places where it was cheaper to film and produce because they didn't have, because the labor unions weren't as strong elsewhere. Um, and at the same time, I know a lot of things get filmed in Georgia and I have stunt friends who they don't have to be in LA because the filming is going to get done in Georgia. They just show up in Georgia mm-hmm. to wherever the filming is being done. Um, New York obviously has the larger theater scene, Um, But film and TV has always been more centered in L.A. And I think to a large degree, folks, you know, and this is just a general sense that I have. I don't know anything specifically, but I think the folks that are on strike are pretty dedicated to the labor of striking, of showing up at the picket lines, of being part of organizing, of talking to their friends and neighbors about why this strike is important. Um, and if you jump off and get a theater job, it, there's absolutely nothing wrong with that. And you're not quite on strike in the same way. If you you're are not, working you're not at else. the picket line. Um, right. You're not doing that, that work of showing up and representing the issues. Um, so there has been a lot of, there have been a lot of headlines over the past week or so as we advance into, you know, now over, I think, 125 days for the writers. I might be misremembering, but we're, um, we, they, the writers went on strike in May. The, the actors, um, SAG after joined them in July, and the strikes are wearing on. And even though there had been some movement in negotiations, Earlier in August, it seems like nothing meaningful has really, really shifted. Um, There's not active discussions right now with both parties at the table. Um, There were a couple of meetings that sort of uh, resulted in the CEOs making another move to just kind of get into the room and tell everybody, hey, it's time to, you know, put your your big kid pants on and go back to work <laughs> um, without really seriously engaging on some of these important issues. Amidst this, we see this headline from August 29th in The Hollywood Reporter. Investors sue Disney over alleged Chappic error cost-shifting scheme to hide streaming losses. So um, some of these streamers are not doing as well as they had represented with Disney actually getting sued here over misrepresenting some of their streaming losses. Um, Today I was seeing um, here on Tuesday, September 5th, seeing reports that 
Warner Brothers, despite, you know, their great, great Barbie success is now losing something to the tune of $500 billion. Um, am I, am I, I get millions of billions confused. Is it millions? No, it uh, millions? The, the article I'm looking at says Warner Brothers Discovery says strikes could cut profits by as much as $500 million. $500 million. Okay. Million with an M. But so, and, and this is in the context of what the what what the uh, guilds are essentially asking for is would cost them a fraction of that amount of, of money. Of that. Never mind their profits. It would cost them a fraction of that. Of what they're losing, what they're losing to stay in this strike. Uh, ripple effects, you mentioned, Zed. Fiona Ma, who is the state treasurer of California, has urged the AMPTP to cut a deal with the guilds so that LA can get back to work because when Hollywood is not at work, it's going to affect everything from restaurants, shops, the entire local economy is feeling the repercussions of this. So how is it that here we are uh, after over a hundred days of going through this and seemingly no, no closer to coming to a deal? Uh, I think it's just continued, you know, as their profits increased, so did their greed and so did their delusion uh, that things could just continue this way forever. Um, I always talk about the film Ants, uh, in which the grasshoppers are like, the ants can never realize that there's more of them than there are of us. And that's exactly what happens is the ants rise up and take down the grasshoppers and guess what everybody were the ants and the studios and all the other bosses are the grasshoppers and this is what is continuing to happen is people are realizing their power and their strength in numbers and that there are way more of us than there are of them and these people that are making all the money aren't doing anything they are just collecting their profits but they do not have the, the ability to stop your labor. You are the ones that can stop the labor that then stops the profits. Uh, I have a saved Instagram post here that the WGA East posted on August 25th um, with the estimated costs of their proposal and what it would cost each of the studios mm -hmm. uh, that I had saved because it points out that the percentage of their revenues is all, you know, 0, 0.0 something percent. Uh, but if you look at Warner Brothers Discovery specifically, the annual cost of fulfilling all the demands of the WGA's proposal is $45 million. That is less than 10% of what they are projecting they will lose in profits this year because they won't just give the writers what they deserve. Yeah. And it, it you know, it's, it's a little bit, you wonder if it's like cutting off your nose to spite your face if they're Absolutely. you know if they're if they're just you know taking this huge loss instead of instead of uh striking a deal out of hubris um but you know at the same time it also makes me wonder like is there really like so much at stake here for them in terms of what profits they project they can make if they continue to exploit labor in this way that they estimate that it's worth it for them in the long run. I think that that remains to be seen. Um, I've, I'm, I'm trying to plan an upcoming episode to talk about some of the different players who are involved in the AMPTP, because I think actually dissecting what are these individual entities and how are their profits made could be somewhat illuminating because we have players like Apple 
and Amazon, who are also you know, sitting in the same pool here with traditional studios like Paramount, with Sony, with Netflix, who I think a lot of people in the AM, a lot of these interests in the AMPTP would be happy to see Netflix go under. So it's very interesting to look at who are the different players here. But it certainly in the short term, um, this is this is not a sound financial decision um, for the AMPTP to continue without cutting a deal and keep people out of work for so long. Yeah, it is a bit like, you know, trying to get all the villains in a movie to team up together against the heroes. And that might feel a little extreme, but it is. They are all competitors with one another uh, fighting for market share. And we're all just trying to make our money. We're all just trying to get by, put food on the table, afford the roofs over our heads that continue to get more and more expensive every day. Um, And they're all fighting for their share of billions of dollars. Uh, And as soon as this is over, they go back to fighting each other. And it seems like at this point, part of the problem is probably also that they are fighting each other while trying to fight the all of the union members, all the SAG-AFTRA and WGA folks. Yeah. And in order to, you know, to kind of uh, smooth things over, they have hired a crisis PR firm. I saw a really funny tweet that said, okay, so they're going to hire a crisis PR firm to, um, to take on the people who wrote and portrayed the characters in Scandal, uh, which is, which is pretty funny, but um, they are, I think part of what's happening right now is they're using a lot of the same plays that have worked for them in previous strikes, going back to 2007, going back to, um, you know, the, 1980s and times when the unions were less popular, there wasn't as much solidarity within and between the different unions. And, you know, doing these things that had been successful in the past at dividing the movement and breaking solidarity um, are not quite playing out the same way for them. Yeah, for sure. And We talked a bit about, you know, the movement in the pandemic and like the rising class consciousness. And part of that was the people who were working and us realizing the value of that. And part of it was those of us, myself included, who were not working and suddenly had time, maybe for the first time in our lives, to like sit down and think about what mattered and think about how we wanted to be spending our time and what and what our time is worth and and how much time we have and and what we want to do with it you know i i think folks know was very active in the black lives matter movement going to protests many times a week throughout the summer of 2020 and i would not have had time i literally would not have been available to do that if i had to be at work i've encountered that issue across many of other protest movements in in the past where i'm trying to sneak in an hour of a protest before i go to work Uh, But suddenly, you know, millions of people were at home and they just couldn't sit at home any longer. This was too important. Uh, But also they were at home. They weren't at their jobs all day. And and that was dangerous. That was part of the big push to get people back to work was, you know, we have too much time, too much thinking, you know, idle hands are the devil's plaything. And all of a sudden the devil is rising up and the devil Mm -hmm. is organized labor. (laughs) Um. So we're in this moment where we're where we're maximizing where we're where we're starting to see people that are really participating. And I've mentioned this on other um 
other podcasts in this series, but um, I think it was uh, Chelsea Davison, my guest, who was a WGA member who really brought this to light that um, that the guilds are really at this point um, incentivized to stay in this as long as it takes to get their best deal possible. We've talked about the negotiating calendar for WGA and SAG-AFTRA, and it's every three years that they get a crack at a new uh, contract. So three years ago, Zed, their big issue that they focused on was not losing um, their health coverage, like was not like losing their amount that they got Mm -hmm. towards their their health coverage. And so that was what they really used all of their capital for in that previous round of negotiation. So they left these issues like the looming threat of AI, like the streaming platforms, um, not giving them residuals that were commensurate to what were the industry standards when the business model was different. Um, And they held and they sort of held those things aside. And this is their chance to come back to the table with this. And again, the message that they learned from streaming is when there's a shift in the structure of the industry and when there's a shift in technology, um, it's really hard to put the toothpaste back in the tube once it gets out. So they've already been on strike for over 100 days for the writers and um, getting up there now for SAG-AFTRA. And if they walk away here with anything short of the deal that they absolutely need to survive, and, and my guests have talked about this as an existential threat to the very viability of the industry if they don't walk away with with everything they need they can't go on strike again in three years a lot of these right. people will not be able to personally afford another disruption to their work um it's just not going to be a viable option the willpower is not going to be there among the guild membership that they have right now so this is their chance. And I really believe that they're sticking with it, that they're in it to win it. And um, I think that they have been to this point really, really underestimated by the AMPTP. I think that's absolutely correct. You know, building the momentum to this point is like a Herculean effort. Um, They've sort of been shoved into this place by the streaming services in the first place. You know, no one wants to go on strike. That's never the goal. It is usually a threat of a tactic or a tactic of a threat Mm -hmm. that will get the negotiating parties to come to the table like, and say, okay, okay, please don't, please don't go on strike. That's going like to be a big UPS problem for us. Like and the Teamsters, like a credible threat of a strike is if labor is really using their power effectively and there's a healthy negotiation, then the threat of the strike should bring the other party, should bring the employer to the table to, in good faith, negotiate fairly. Right. And as, uh, you know, some of these people have said the quiet part out loud, have said, we're going to wait it out until people start losing their homes. Um, That just gains more and more support from, you know, society at large uh, for donations to the strike fund, for general moral support, for coming out to the pickets, for like creating increased visibility both in person and on social media platforms to continue to spread the word. Um, And additionally, the thing that I've been saying since the beginning is 
you think writers don't know how to find a survival job? Like the whole reason that they're picketing in the first place is because being a writer is no longer a job that you can live on, you know, by working on a show the way that it used to be. These people are constantly cobbling together gigs, finding side hustles, finding other work. Um, Everybody I know lives that life. We're all used to having to find other things to supplement our income because working in the arts does not pay a living wage unless you are part of that very lucky small percentage um, who absolutely are and should be out there advocating for the rest of us. Uh, You've had guests who've talked about the fact that 85% of SAG-AFTRA members do not qualify for health insurance through the union. And the only thing you need to do to qualify for health insurance is make $26,000 in covered work. That's not, that's no money. That's no money. And to your point, like when you go on strike and like you said, you know, you have, you're, you're, you, you work in an industry where you have to find survival jobs and, and uh, screw screw things together. It's like, okay, well I'll keep on walking dogs and you know, and I lose my $26,000 a year that you probably didn't even pay me on time anyway. These are not white collar people who've like Mm -hmm. never worked in a restaurant or never had a hospitality job in their lives. This is what all of these people were doing before and probably during their careers for a very long time. If they happen to be fortunate enough to not be doing that anymore, uh, it is certainly they have a wealth of skills to draw upon besides being able to write or being able to perform on camera. And I think it is an incredible underestimation of the workforces they are up against to think that these people are going to be waited out. It's just not going to happen. Yeah. Um, speaking of, you know, the the fortunate few being out there on the picket lines and representing these issues um, along in solidarity with the vast majority of their guilds who are, you know, are not the household name Hollywood stars that we might think of when we think about SAG and uh, and the WGA. Uh, Aaron Paul was on the picket line this week. I saw this on social media talking about how he does not receive any residuals from Breaking Bad's success. Um, I think it's Breaking Bad on Netflix now doing numbers for Netflix. I think that was where it I moved that's to right. yeah. that he was saying I moved to this platform and he doesn't get any residuals from that. And again, you know, some people uh, you know, no, don't don't read the comments if you're fan and apart. But some people in the comments are saying, you know, well, why does Aaron Paul need to keep on making money from Breaking Bad? And the and the message is, you know, if he's not making money, then nobody else that was involved right. in that said it's making money. If if Aaron Paul and Brian Cranston are not getting residuals from Netflix trying to make money off of their product then none of these production assistants, none of the staff writers, none of the other background actors um, who mostly don't make residuals, but thinking about, you know, all of this human labor that goes into something going on Netflix and driving subscription fees, um, you know, nobody's sharing in that stake if the, the, the top billed names are not, are not making any money off of it. Yeah, it's just horrendous. I mean, I don't even know what else to say about it. The the lack of respect is what it is what it really comes down to. Like, you know, money and respect are not the same thing, but the way you show someone respect for their work 
is is very much present in the workplace. But after the fact, if you are continuing to benefit from that person's work, i.e. making billions of dollars in profits by the content that is on your platform that you didn't make, that other people made, and then you paid some money for it, it is, you owe it to those people. And this is the thing. This is what they're trying to put in writing in a contract because it isn't there yet, uh, is that you owe it to those people that they get a share of the, not that you're giving, but that they have earned a share of those profits by creating that content. That's the writers, that's the actors, that's everybody. Um, yeah, and the so the profits is is an interesting is an interesting question because um, you know we see this news breaking over the past week about investors suing Disney over misleading them about the company's growth. I read this and I thought that this really it, it had a you know major Kendall Roy vibes here. Um, but uh, you know the business model it it has been changing and it's really really unclear just how viable this kind of explosion of streaming is Zed like we're kind of seeing this gradual recreation of the cable landscape where all of a sudden there's ads in all of it you know HBO is now was HBO Max and now it's just Max and now I see ads um there's ads and everything this idea that people would subscribe to streaming services and then watch ad free content um, and that we could just proliferate more streaming services ad nauseum, you know, the with Paramount Plus, with the Stars app, uh, there's, you know, Hulu, there's Peacock. Um, you know, maybe this isn't actually working out as great as the production companies had thought. Yeah, it is. When, when it was just Netflix, it was a novelty. It was this one thing. It was once upon a time a DVD delivery service mm-hmm. uh, long enough ago. I've been in this apartment long enough that uh, there was once upon a time a Netflix DVD in this apartment. Um, but as every TV channel has now developed their own streaming platform, uh, I am young enough that I've never paid for cable. I've never had reg- what I call regular TV mm-hmm. in my house. Uh, because there's all, I've always had access to enough things on streaming and especially now enough things that are on TV, then go to a streaming service the next day that I have not wanted or needed to pay for regular TV. Um, but as it, as it's all becoming a la carte and each show you want to watch is on a different network, that means you're paying another five at the minimum five plus dollars a month because you want to watch one show once a week it's untenable you know it's going to be more expensive than tv but but what's on tv anymore some of these things are only on these streaming services Mm -hmm. and it's it's too much (laughs) and they can go away overnight and then you'll never be able to watch them again right um yeah like i uh i subscribed to stars because i wanted to support party down and I just you know I had stars for two months I watched all of party down and then when I went to quit stars they were so desperate that they were going to give me like six months for 99 cents or something it was like yeah um it's so I this 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 Disney lawsuit sort of illuminates um some of the issues here and you know if the shareholders are upset said then that means it's really serious um so the suit claims that the company 
executives hid expense and difficulty of maintaining subscriber growth and suffered staggering costs to create content. So they're creating all of this content because it's really important to actually create new content to get people to come and subscribe. People don't just want to subscribe because of, you know, the Netflix library. People need to have that new show that is what they're going to, you know, need to see to be part of the conversation. So Disney tried to hide losses um, by bundling Disney Plus with other things like Hulu and then using these booths to sort of project that, okay, this promotion, we can sort of extrapolate that we're going to continue to see the subscriber growth, even when the promotion goes away. This was a very Kendall Roy move, I thought. Um, But Disney's stock uh, has been plummeting. They've been, um, you know, operating at billion dollar losses. Um, And this is not This is something that there's been speculation about for some time, not only in uh, the case of Disney, but also in the case of Netflix. And there's questions about whether some of the opacity from the from the streamers in terms of what are the actual viewership numbers, some of it might be a tactic to um, undermine labor's power to actually negotiate it, but it might also be because they're trying to obscure the fact that they're not doing as well as they want their shareholders to believe. Right. Well, the reality of the situation is the market is only so big. And if you've been around long enough, there's only so much of the market that is untapped. You know, Mm -hmm. there's a certain percentage of the population that is not going to subscribe to Disney plus. They're just not going to do it. And, and no tactics, no anything that you can offer them is going to change that, which means eventually you are going to reach your subscriber saturation point and you cannot continue to you can maintain your profits, maybe, but you cannot continue to increase profits if you are not increasing your subscription numbers. And so the solution that streamers always go to is, well, we'll just charge more for subscriptions. Mm-hmm. Uh, and ultimately, what that ends up doing is driving people off your platform because they don't want to pay more money for the same thing that they've already had or they don't want to pay the same amount of money. But now there's ads every three minutes. Um it's not, you know, a sustainable this is this is the problem with capitalism is your profits can't just keep growing forever. Uh, but capitalism also then manufactures crises that causes everything to shrink so that then the profits can grow again. Uh, but that's my, you know, my little high horse. <laughs> Um, Yeah, because the shareholders demand sort of constant growth. It's not enough to just sort of maintain like once you have Netflix in every home, right? What can you do? Oh, well, oh, these people are sharing passwords. So we're going to crack down on that. But people aren't happy about cracking down on password sharing. So they'll just go and pick one of the other streamers and not subscribe to Netflix anymore. And I have not had Netflix since whenever the mole finished last year. And I get an email from Netflix once a week. that's like, Zed, come see what's new on Netflix. Zed, come back for just $6.99. Netflix, leave me alone. I'm not coming back. I know where you are. If I, if I want to come back, I'll be back. But it's the same as like all these politicians. Stop sending me emails. That's yeah. not how you're going to get my money. The streamers, it's like stars. They're just like these desperate exes. You. Exactly. It's <laughs> No, you don't. You lose, miss my money. Lose my number. Um, so 
That's what's going on with Disney Plus in the news. Um, there's a way though that this that this negotiate that these uh that these union collective actions become a little bit contagious though, Zed. Um, we've talked about some of the allied industries, of course, um, in the VFX industry. We've heard recently lots of reports of abuses, long hours, unreasonable demands. Um, this was surrounding the uh, the Spider-Man, the, the, the second Spider-Verse movie. There were um, a lot of stories about how the VFX workers uh, on that film were treated. Um, they're getting together and, and uh, starting to organize. That is a group of workers that has not been unionized. Is that correct, Zed? Yeah, the uh, visual effects workers at Disney have filed for unionization via IATSE. Um, I think they file the election with the National Labor Relations Board, the NLRB, uh, and then they would unionize under IATSE. Um, and they current correct. They currently are not unionized. Mm -hmm. And something that I wanted to make sure I mentioned was even for workers who are not in unions. Uh, if you are working in an industry where unions exist, unions are constantly working to increase labor standards, increase work practices, and that tends to tends to adjust what the industry standards are, whether you are in a union mm -hmm. or not. Um, you are benefiting from union labor if you are someone who is a worker, whether you are in a union or not. And if you can be, get get in your union. I don't even think my local is a very good union. That's a whole other conversation. Um, but there are certainly benefits that I receive as a member of my union that I would not get otherwise. Uh, and you can unionize your workplace. You can do it. It's It's doable. It's not easy, but it's doable. Yeah, that's actually a great point. Um, and that would be great to have a guest down the road to talk about that process because um definitely, you know, it is it's it, it is a challenge. But um, as we spoke about with Paul Prescott, even though the uh Gallup polling shows that Americans approve of unions at historically high rates, um, union membership is still only 8%. And most of that union membership is in the public sector. So the private sector is, is by and large, not unionized. Um, and because of the importance of unions in sort of winning these basic protections that we've been talking about, um, that's something that uh, really does need to change. Um, so Zed, the VFX workers are hoping to organize with IATSE. What are some of the different sectors of the industry that IATSE represents? Uh, so I can speak to the theater part of it specifically. Um, I know if you walk into a Broadway house, there are about 12 different uh, unions operating within the building on a single production. And that's a number of IATSE locals, including myself and the rest of the front of house staff. That's, as I mentioned before, the local one stagehands and crew backstage. Uh, the wardrobe department has a union. The actors obviously have a union. House managers have a union that I always get. Theirs is at PAM, which is not the AMPTP, but it is the uh, oh, Alliance what? of Theatrical Managers and Producers or mm. something like that. Uh, the DGA, the Directors Guild of America, the stage managers are in a union. Um, so those are all different factions that all have to come to the table. And I, for instance, when we shut down in March of 2020, 
uh, it took them quite a, quite a long while, uh, a good six weeks to two months to figure out how much we were getting paid um, because all of the different unions had to meet and negotiate with the Broadway League, which sets uh, the working agreements for um, for all of the Broadway productions. And I think we got a whole two weeks of pay or something, uh, but we're in a union. So it means we got those two weeks and not nothing. Um, it's same thing in terms of what COVID protocols would be when we came back to work after the pandemic. Uh, all of that involves all of those unions coming to the negotiating table with representatives, working with the league to figure out what is going to be ostensibly a fair and equitable agreement for all the parties involved. IATSE represents, in addition to stagecraft, um, where some many of those uh, unions that uh, that that said just spoke to, also represents workers in broadcast media and in motion picture and television. So I'm looking right now at the uh, at the union directory on the IATSE website, and I'm seeing production and sound technicians. I'm seeing motion picture editors. So there's lots of different workers not um, that are involved in stage that are involved in screen across the board who are represented by IATSE. And what the VFX workers are hoping to do is to become one of these uh, local divisions that gets represented. And I think that their original ask is they want to unionize and just be covered under the basic IATSE agreement. Right. Um, I'm not, I'm like scanning through an article here. This, this just happened uh, in the last couple of days and SAG-AFTRA is doing some informational sessions with members um, this week and next week to talk more about what that would look like and what their asks are. Uh, the workers are calling for, quote, fair compensation for all hours worked. Y'all, come on. This is this is what we're asking for. We'd like to get paid for our labor. Um, additionally, adequate health care, retirement benefits, and more generally, the same rights and protections afforded to their unionized co-workers who are already represented by IATSE. Uh, and that's different from but relevant to the um, interactive media video mm -hmm. game striker uh, strike authorization, which is under SAG. Um, yes. And so that's people who are in a union but are striking, are potentially striking, seems pretty likely, uh, in, in, in fighting for a, a raise and, you know. It, equal pay for equal work, fair pay for the work that they're doing, anything that represents the profits that they are providing mm -hmm. to these studios. Uh, these patterns continue across yeah. all aspects of the industry of making a thing that makes people billions of dollars. Yeah, so this is something that I just uh, you know, came across my Twitter scrolling in the last couple of days that um, SAG-AFTRA is um, now looking at the interactive media space. So I guess that their contract with interactive media, including gaming, um, you know, which is, I, I think, an increasingly large part of what work is um, of, of, of what type of work is available 
four actors um, that they're coming up on a end of a one year extension to a contract negotiation that um, was not completed. So this is what they're looking at right now. And um, considering striking. So these are things like the voice actors in a beloved gaming <laughs> series, like the last of us, which I think in some of those voice actors actually made it into that series. That isn't that correct. They did. That is correct. Um, and increasingly, like when I look at somebody's IMDB, I see these interactive media gaming credits popping up. So this is another important and growing sector of the labor market here. And we might be expecting an, an upcoming strike for SAG-AFTRA in, in that department too. Um, some of what's been going on with SAG-AFTRA lately, I've seen some complaints that these uh, interim agreement productions, that there's a number of exceptions that the uh, guild has been agreeing to that have allowed uh, some of the performers to continue to promote work. Um, but um, so there's you, the union is saying that, um, you know, working on approved interim agreement productions or maintaining employment on one of our other permissible non-struck contracts is supporting unions and it's empowering and inspiring. Those are the words of Duncan Crabtree Ireland, who is the chief negotiator for SAG-AFTRA. Um, but not everybody agrees that, you know, so many interim agreements is good for the solidarity of the negotiation right now of the strike. Interesting. So the one that I know of off the top of my head is that A24, mm -hmm. uh, the, the house that produced Everything Everywhere All at Once, among many other films, um, is allowed to continue working and producing and working with SAG actors and WGA writers uh, because it has agreed to all of the terms of both of those unions' uh, agreements as they have been proposed to all of these currently struck companies. Uh, it's a much smaller production house. They have a much smaller budget. They have much smaller profits. But they said, yes, all of the things that you're asking for are reasonable and we can accommodate that and we will do those things. And so SAG-AFTRA and the WGA said, okay, please continue making movies. Uh, that's how that works. And my feeling is, you know, I am not impacted by this directly, but my feeling is that's called competition, that's called raising the standards. And if that means that A24 is the only house putting out movies for the rest of 2023, well, sucks to be Warner Brothers. Like, get your life together. It's not that hard to give these people what they're asking for, or I should say what they are demanding and what they deserve. Yeah, I mean, you have to think that the competition, like, is in a lot of ways a good thing, especially if there is going to be, like, a dearth of new movies coming out, um, you know, having these films and seeing that uh, it's not that hard. It's not too tall of an ask to actually fulfill the very reasonable demands that the, uh, that the performers and writers are asking for, um, you know, could be quite strong on deadline. I'm seeing as of September 4th, a list of SAG-AFTRA interim agreements, movies and TV stories, uh, movies and TV series that have been given the green light to go ahead 
with work. Um, so, so there might be some, even though the landscape of media coming out in the next few months is likely to change quite a bit. Um, there might be some, um, there might be some things coming down the pike. Um, other agreements have given films clearance to promote at festivals. So, um, Michael Mann's Ferrari premiered at Venice film festival and they allowed promotion, uh, from performers at, that so um this is something that i'll continue to follow because i've seen at least some dissatisfaction with how wide some of the interim agreements have gone um but um i think it to the extent that this is making the big studios look bad i think that that's probably a good thing there's always the people who are like well the market works the way it's supposed the invisible hand of the market you know and there will be competition and that's good and that makes everything better for everybody and then as soon as there's competition that's not working for the people they want it to work for they're upset right um so this is where we're at zed are there any other headlines or anything else that you've seen in following these strikes that you wanted to highlight i don't think so i think in general it is thrilling to see so much attention on the movement and that that intention i think has not waned over the several months that this has been going on now um obviously film and tv is a daily part of just about everyone's lives, you know, whether it's just watching the news or various TV shows that we all consume regularly, or just putting on your favorite episode of something on Netflix. If that is what you choose to do, we are all consuming media all the time. Uh, It's pretty hard to be in a media blackout if you were to try and do that to yourself. So this, this does impact all of us because even aside from what you're watching, This is going to continue to impact the labor market. It's going to continue to impact other workers being willing to stand up and look at what they can fight and win. Uh, Because I do think that the actors and the writers are going to win big here and it's going to make a big difference. And the more people stand up, the more they succeed and the more they succeed, the more other people realize they can also stand up and do the same thing. Yeah, no, here, here. I think it's great. I think that this has been a really great representation of organized labor. And one thing I want to highlight that I don't know if we've talked about so much so far is that um, I think that the that the actors and the writers are really on the cutting edge of what are some of the existential threats of AI in various work sectors. Um, And, you know, government regulations have not jumped in to deal with this yet. And this could be in a lot of ways forcing the issue. And this is going to affect anybody who produces any kind of uh, creative work or written work. This is going to affect illustrators. This is going to affect anybody who has any part of their job that comes from generating copy um, that has any work that could be subject to uh, AI training models. So there's a lot of copyright issues. There's a lot of intellectual property ownership issues that are coming to the fore as a result of these negotiations. And I think that this is really a big frontier in labor in general and not just in Hollywood. So um, this is, uh, you know, another example of really why I think that it's really important to have these conversations. And again, we started out by talking about Labor Day and we mentioned some of the big wins of organized labor in our country, things that we might take 
for granted. Um, but, you know, I want to also just call out the United Auto Workers, and we talked about the Teamsters and the flight attendants and IATSE and all of the workers who are right now fighting for, for a fair deal. Um, you know, there's a lot, there's a lot going on. And uh, as Chelsea Davison, my guest said, once it gets cooler, people are just going to be able to stand out yeah. there longer. <laughs> Um, if you are in the New York area, I know that New York SAG-AFTRA is striking most days of the week from 9.30 to noon outside of all the studios. Uh, pretty reliably, you can find them there on those days. You can always check on social media to confirm for sure. For instance, they didn't; they were not out yesterday. Yesterday was a recharge day, but they were back today. They'll be there tomorrow. Um, if you can go to a picket, go to a picket. You don't have to be an actor or be a writer to be on the front lines with these people showing your solidarity. And it's a lot of fun. It's really invigorating and energizing. Um, and it just shows your solidarity and your support for, uh, for the people who are putting up this fight right now. Um, and let me also suggest, if you are interested, that you read a book I'm reading right now, which mm. is Fight Like Hell, The Untold History of American Labor by Kim Kelly. Uh, I cannot recommend it highly enough. You will learn so much about the the history of these various fights for the worker protections that we do have currently across a number of different industries. Um, I think it's really, really valuable now more than ever that you learn about how we got to where we are and how we can keep going. Um, and additionally, a movie that I always shout out and I cry every time I watch it is called Pride. Uh, it's about the 1983-1984 coal miners strike in uh, in the UK and the solidarity between these like small town conservative miners and queer folks from London who came up and showed them support. Uh, so if you just need like some good snuggly solidarity feelings, I recommend that movie so highly. Although, unfortunately, I think it's on Amazon Prime, mm. I think is where you would stream oh. it. Unfortunately. Uh, Isn't that yeah. so funny? I've had guests say like, if only these companies would just like watch their shows. Right. <laughs> yeah. You know, where did we learn these things? Where did we find all these stories, you know, such as an author we don't talk about anymore, but like, where did we learn to stand up to bigotry and like fight mm. back and take care of ourselves and each other? Oh, I don't right. know. Maybe these books I read every year mm. for my entire life. Yeah. Le so many lessons can be learned from art and Oddly enough, the the empathetic beings that are the writers and performers of these unions are out there controlling the narrative around the story that they want to tell. And and they're they're here to win. Well, thank you so much for joining me, Zed, to catch up on everything that's been happening over the past week to hear about your perspective as an IATSE member. Where can the listeners keep up with everything that you're doing? You can find me at Hard Rock Hope on any of the accursed social media platforms mm -hmm. that I am still on. Uh, and you can find me on Amazon's twitch.tv slash oh. Hard Rock Hope. All y'all, they're all linked. It's, mm -hmm. it's four companies. Whatever you're doing, mm -hmm. one of those four companies is getting your money. This is the problem. Um, but you your can find money me and your data. It's <laughs> money and your data. Yeah. You can find me streaming video games for now. We'll see what happens. Uh, but at twitch.tv slash hard rock hope. Um, and I will be back next month with the return of our flag means death coverage right here on post show recaps, which I'm 
very, very excited about. Uh, but until then, hard rock hope all over the internet. And thank you so much, Amanda, for having me. I love talking about labor. Yay, it was my pleasure. And uh, you can keep up with everything that I'm doing on social media at Dr. Amanda R. Bye-bye.